everybody. Welcome to the Sooner Nation podcast. Rich DeCray, I'm Matt Hofeld. And let's start. Um, the, the meat of what we're going to talk about tonight is going to be found in the true or false section where I actually get to ask those questions of Rich. But let's start with some basketball because that's the ongoing thing here. Um, Oklahoma makes it this gigantic leap in the polls. And here's my question for you, Rich. They, you got to give them credit for beating the number nine teams, plural, that they beat, West Virginia, Kansas, Alabama. But Oklahoma jumps from just being a fringe top 25 team to being just on the inside of the top 10 at number nine. And then they kind of they, they lose that game against Texas Tech, and then they drop back out of the top 10 at number 12. Here's the question. Was it an overreaction to move Oklahoma that high, that fast in the polls? I personally don't believe that it was. And what you have to look at is the full body of work. I know that a lot of people um, in the media, more specifically those who were calling the games, wanted to attach some titles to what was going on. And that specific title was Marquee Win. When you look at, again, the entire body of work, I know that you're talking about the number nine programs that Oklahoma had beat. Um, the string of those that they had put together, including a win over a top five team in Texas, it seemed as though it was warranted. It seemed as though Oklahoma had finally come alive and that they were relying upon this backcourt that's extremely experienced, whether it's because of the transfer market or whether it's because of guys who have just been there and been around such as a Brady Manic. This is a team again with that experience that was showcasing what they're capable of and why they're so dangerous. But more importantly, Matt, we have to look at the, not just what the Oklahoma Sooners were doing. We have to look at the conference as a whole as well. And when you see six teams, Kansas dropping out this week for the first time in I don't know, 12 years or 14 years out of the top 25. When you look at the body of work, Kansas being in the rankings would have had seven teams. Now them dropping out, it's just six because of the introduction of Oklahoma State, 60% of the league inside of the top 25. And when you can string together a five-game win streak, that says something about who you are and the makeup of your team and what you're doing, not only from a player standpoint, but also from a coaching standpoint. It's why Baylor's run is so impressive to me and why I still think they're fully deserving of the number one ranking. Not just in conference, Matt, not just in conference. Well, like, yeah, cause I have to, uh, <laughs> I have to just go ahead and step out here and say you were right. And I was wrong um, because I had Texas pegged as the top 10 or as the top, the top team in the big 12 and Clearly, clearly they are not. Um, not only did the Texas lose to Oklahoma, but then they went on just to get blasted by Baylor. But now Baylor has shut their program down, and they're they're talking about an extensive time away. They, they announced today that they're they're kind of worried about the Oklahoma State game even being held, and that game is like. February 20th or something like that. So th- this is a big deal that Baylor's dealing with, with the COVID pandemic. How, does that, what does that do to the conference? Well, I mean, we, we talk about Baylor being legitimately one of the top teams in the country, if not the top team in the country, definitely. I have no problem right now saying that they're the top team in the big 12, where I was trying to give, see, this is what happens. I try to give Texas credit and then they go and pull a Texas on me. Um, but to have your best team just have to shut down this program for a, a longer period of time than 
what other teams have done. Does that, does that hurt the conference? Does it hurt Baylor? I mean, I think, OU kind of benefits from it because they're, they're after losing to Texas tech, they beat Iowa state. Now they don't have to play the number one team in the country this week, but overall perception of the conference, good, yeah, bad, the short, and different. The short answer is, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to do to the perception because you look at just how dominant Baylor has been, whether it's at home or whether it's away, they've showcased that they are one of the most dominant teams, if not the most dominant team in the country. And a lot of that comes because of the depth that they have. Now I get if there are protocols that are in place and they're shutting down the program, there are issues COVID related and contact tracing, which is causing them to miss a string of games. But let's be honest, I don't know that anyone was going to beat Baylor in the conference. There are some teams I do think could challenge them. There are some teams who could have an on night and Baylor just have an average night and Baylor could still win those games. So I really don't know what it does to the conference perception outside of what, it, what it, I guess what we're perceiving about Baylor. And it's when they come through this, Matt, we have to consider if you're a Baylor fan, if you're pulling for the folks out of Waco, take Brady Manick, for example. How long did it take for him to actually regain some confidence, regain that shooter's touch, and regain the ability to step back consistently and be that stretch four player that we know that he can be? He wasn't immediately reinserted into the starting lineup and for good reason it was very clear to me that he was out of sync with this team and, and what they were capable of doing not to say that he was holding them back but he was clearly the weak point of the starting five that had been out there previously Baylor's going to have to deal with that on a much larger scale than just a singular individual right and you know I I question whether Brady Manick would even make it back into the starting five, just based off how they were playing and what Lon Kruger was getting from Elijah Harkless. But now you see him back in there. They, the Oklahoma was not crisp against Iowa State on Saturday. They got the job done. But when you're talking about playing a team that is the worst team in the Big 12, still looking for their first conference win, they're sitting 0-8 in conference play. To struggle that late into the game – Again, you're not clicking on all cylinders, but maybe this Lon Kruger looks at that. This is the team. This is the time. If you're going to put Brady Manning back in the starting lineup, this is who you want to do it against. So you have that time for adjustment because up next at that time, he's thinking maybe we'll get to play Baylor. Maybe we won't. But, you know, a week from now, you're going to West Virginia, which would be this coming Saturday. The Sooners in Morgantown to, to play the, the Mountaineers and when you look at the standings, this is a vital game for Oklahoma. The Sooners, technically, they're in third place in the Big 12, but they're practically tied with West Virginia for second. Whoever wins this game will have a firm hold on second place in the conference standings. So Brady Manning back in the starting five. Are you do you, do you like what what Long Kruger's doing here with inserting him at this point and then maybe kind of giving some more depth to the bench? I, personally, that's an easy yes for me. And again, I, I continue to go back to who knows this system better than a Brady Manic? Who's a guy that can set the tone and be a physical presence on the inside that's better than Brady Manic? This is not a slide against a guy like Jalen Hill, Matt, because I think Jalen Hill has had some pivotal moments for Oklahoma, but in the long run, he's very hesitant 
and he seems to be very insecure in his ability to go up and make a shot. I said that he could potentially be that stretch four. I don't know that that's going to be the case anymore. So the reintroduction down the stretch as we head into March of a guy like Brady Manick, a guy who you can depend on, who even if the shot's not falling is going to demand attention. I, I like what they're doing with him. I like what Lon Kruger has done with Manick specifically in this process of bringing him back alongside the starting five. So the biggest question mark for me still is Alondis Williams. Will we see a very similar process for him when he returns, when he begins to reassert himself into this starting five? Is he going to be a guy that you can depend on? Or will he even be able to reassert himself in this starting five? I think he's the, the bigger question mark for me than anybody else on this roster at this point. Why? Because he was so key in what Oklahoma was doing during that stretch of of wins over ranked opponents. Yeah, I get that, that there was some time out there, but again, you look at the body of work, the full body of work, and you begin to pinpoint who's been the most impactful players, not named Devion Harmon. And you can easily say, you can easily point the finger at an Austin Reeves. I think you could even say that Alonis Williams and, and Brady Manick have that impact just because of the mismatches that they create because of their size. Yeah, and I totally get what you're saying about Hill, but I, I do feel like when you look back on Saturday's game against Iowa State, and to get 11 points from him off the bench in a game where you're missing Alondis Williams, and so Mo Gibson is getting the start. You know, Mo Gibson has been that guy coming off the bench for Long Kruger this season, kind of the spark plug that comes in there with that second unit. And so Hill gave the Sooners exactly what they needed last Saturday in that game, and I would think that when Williams does come back, whenever that is, I think it would be this coming Saturday at West Virginia, but I don't know if anything's been officially announced on that yet, but I think you're going to see Gibson go back into that second unit coming off the bench. And if you can still get that kind of production from Hill and get what Mo Gibson's giving you, I don't see why Oklahoma can't go to Morgantown and compete and, and come away with a win in this game. But here's my question for you, Rich, and we're not into true or false yet, so you can just say yes or no, or you're crazy. Oklahoma, West Virginia, right now two or three in the two and three in the Big 12 conference. We've already said Baylor, best team in the Big 12. Will Oklahoma go into the Big 12 tournament as the number two seed? Are we actually seeing this develop with this Oklahoma basketball team? You said with the number three seed? Number two seed. Man, that that's going to be a difficult, a difficult yes for me. Is it possible? Absolutely. I mean, they're, it, they're a win away from being number two right now. Right. You, I'm saying you, win at West, but you still have Bedlam twice. You still got to, you, you still have to find a game to play against Baylor. I mean, they're, it's, it's not season over, but they're in the back half of the season now. And you got this big challenge with West Virginia and Morgantown, I I think you're sitting pretty good if you win in Morgantown to make that a possibility. Right. And, and West Virginia, while we're recording this podcast, Matt is currently playing Texas Tech. That one's going to have some kind of an outcome on those rankings. So it, it's just very difficult to say, yes, they would be the number two team. I think, and I've said this all along from the start, that they were very worthy. The roster that they had was worthy of claiming a top four seed in the Big 12 tournaments. I didn't know if that would be any higher then that I see three as a possibility, but two, two's a stretch for me right now. Okay. That's fair. Um, 
I, I don't ever want to like claim something because I, I'm I'm a firm believer in the jinx. But man, I I love the possibility of this team being a top four in the Big Twelve going into Kansas City. So we're going to move on to true or false. I get to ask the questions, and again, that's going to be the meat of what we talk about today. And uh, so get yourself ready, Rich. Okay, Sooner Nation podcast. He's Rich DeCray. I'm Matt Hofeld. Going into the true or false section, this is where we get to talk a lot about football. And uh, we do have a few recruiting type things that, to touch up on at the end of this. But let's jump in here and uh, and get started on this segment because I do want to hear your take on some of these things that you and I have not had a chance to talk about just yet. So we're going to start with uh, Brendan Riley Hiles, who entered into the transfer portal and then you hear um, Lincoln Riley come out and say, well, I really hope that he's not done at the University of Oklahoma. I hope he's still, we still see him play here on the field. So here we go. Here's the first question out of the gate, because I know how you feel about guys who either set a year out for COVID or they go into the transfer portal. You don't think they should ever be brought back on the team. So here's the first loaded question for you, knowing what Buki has said and knowing what Lincoln Riley has said, true or false? We have not seen the last of Buki at the University of Oklahoma. We have not seen the last of him, I think, is a false statement. You think he's gone? I do think that he is gone. He He's graduating. He'll be a graduate transfer this year, assuming that he does choose to leave because we know that nothing is solidified until you actually leave campus. Your name can sit in the portal for days weeks, months, and then you can simply withdraw it and remain with the team. It's simply saying, hey, I'm I'm interested in exploring other options, Matt, and I get that completely. I understand where Lincoln Riley is coming from as well because this is a kid who gave of himself, gave everything he had, whether res- the results was what he intended and what the fans had hoped for is a completely different story. But we've talked numerous times about his instincts. We've talked about his impact and his recognition that he has when he's on the field. He becomes the quarterback of that secondary and begins pointing things out and directing players on where they need to be and what's coming their way. That's a very invaluable attribute or trait to have when you're on the football field and when you're a member of that secondary. Now, when it comes to, (laughs) I didn't come up with this, but I I fell in love with this sentiment is that I think Brendan Radley Hiles loved Oklahoma more than Oklahoma loved him. And that's an unfortunate statement. So again, I see, I see where Lincoln Riley's coming from. I see the talent in that kid. I think everybody sees the talent in that kid, but no one more than a guy like Lincoln Riley, who says, I hope we would come back. You would come back and we would have one more ride together. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think bookie is looking to remove himself from a lot of those different um, perceptions of him. A lot of the, the, the different ways that people had viewed him in a negative light. I think he's looking to separate himself before ultimately declaring for the NFL draft. Okay, so I have some thoughts on this, but I'm going to save them because my second question for you is actually the same question, but from a different angle. Okay, so here's here's the same question from a different angle for number two. True or false? It would be a mistake for Oklahoma to accept him back out of the transfer portal. That's a difficult one. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a, an exceptionally difficult question 
to answer straight up. I, I don't think it would be a mistake, but if for the sake of this true or false, Matt, I'm going to say that it's true. Um, I, I want to lean towards the no, it wouldn't be a mistake simply for depth purposes. But if you're looking for a player who can step in and have an immediate impact, I think Brendan Radley-Hiles has shown us he's kind of hit his ceiling under Alex Grinch. We know what he's going to do. We know some of those boneheaded mistakes that have resulted in extended drives for opposing teams, most notably Iowa State this past year. We know that that's, that's ultimately what he will be known for. And so would it be a mistake for him to to come or for Oklahoma to accept him back onto this roster? I, I'm going to go with a yes. If it weren't for depth purposes, it would be 100% yes for me. But I do know that there's talent behind him. I do know that they're bringing in a transfer from Tennessee who, in my opinion, fits that position of the mm -hmm. nickelback extremely well. Right. Has a lot of the similar traits, but has this innate ability, this speed and these these physical attributes but that you rarely find in a player at that defensive back position that we're assuming he's going to take over. Okay, so here's my take on this because I know I'm asking you the questions, but I can't do a podcast and not give my take on, especially on this. And if you've listened to the Sooner Nation podcast, you know exactly how I feel about Buki and, and everything that you're saying. I do think Lincoln Riley's saying the right things and doing the right things because there is some value to having a guy with his experience in your program. I mean, he would be a four-year starter if he came back in 2021. But that said, the antics, man, and and you you can start there. You you said that Brendan Riley Hiles loved the University of Oklahoma more than the University of Oklahoma loved Brendan Riley Hiles. I don't think it's Buki that that the fans don't like. It's the antics of Buki that the fans don't like. And you think back to whether it's an on the field mistake, like go go to look at the Texas game when Oklahoma punts and he just destroys the punt returner on, on you know that he's a junior. Those are not those are not the type of mistakes a guy of his caliber should be making. You talked about all the pass interference calls against Iowa State. You could go to Bedlam and you can get the taunting penalty against Bedlam. Of course, there's there's the LSU play in the Peach Bowl where he just loads up and destroys. Uh, was it the running back? I want to say it was the running back who plays for the Chiefs now. And and so I, you you got you've got all those things when you look at the hype that was around this kid when he came to the University of Oklahoma and then what was actually delivered, even in the Kansas game, when he makes a good play, it's still a bad play because he makes the interception. He's running down the sidelines. And whether you want to make the argument the guy was out of bounds or inbounds or it's legal or illegal, personally, I don't think it should have been a fumble. But still, you can't get stripped from behind. When you, when you get the turnover, you got to keep the ball. Now you talk about the transfers coming in. He'd already Key, lost. Key Lawrence is specifically who I'm thinking well, of in this right, conversation. The Tennessee guy. And, you, and here, here's where that becomes important to me because the reality is Buki lost his starting job to Trey Norwood. Trey Norwood came in and revitalized this defense. We talk a lot about the, the difference that Ronnie Perkins made when he returned 
to this football team. But also, let's not forget that night in in Lubbock, Texas against Texas Tech, it wasn't just Ronnie Perkins coming back on the field for this defense. It was Trey Norwood stepping in in that nickelback spot. And what did Trey Norwood do that night? He got two interceptions. And over the last half of the season, you saw Trey Norwood really step up and take over that position, culminating in the Cotton Bowl where he gets the pick six uh, on Florida's I, first possession. I think OU scores first, and then and then Trey Norwood intercepts Kyle Trask, puts Oklahoma immediately up 14 to nothing. And so you see Buki lose his job. Then Norwood's gone to the NFL. Now he has a chance to step back in there. And how many times did we see on this very podcast – there's, the problem is there's no one to push him. The problem is there's no one to contend with him. The problem is, you know, this and this and this. There's the depth was the issue. And then Key Lawrence comes to town, and it's not a coincidence. It is not a coincidence that Oklahoma lands Key Lawrence from Tennessee, and then Buki jumps in that portal. To me, this is Buki having a little bit of a moment where he's getting up in his feels, and he wants – he wants to be a contributing player. He wants to be an impact player. But the truth is this, when it comes to Brendan Redley House, he never lived up to the hype that he received from this fan base upon his arrival to the University of Oklahoma. And some of that is on the fans for giving him too high of an expectation. But some of that is also on Buki for never coming around and moving away from these boneheaded plays that he became accustomed to. And when you think about Brendan Radley Hiles and the University of Oklahoma, you think more about those type of plays than you think about good plays that he made. I mean, the first thing that comes to your mind is going to be Bedlam. The first thing that comes to your mind is going to be PI calls against Iowa State. The first thing that comes to your mind is going to be getting ejected from the Peach Bowl. Those are the type of things that are going to come to the forefront of your mind. But he's become, here's the other part of this. He's become such of a cult hero with a portion of the fan base that is, they have chosen, they're going to live or die on this hill of fandom towards Brendan Radley Hiles. And so you can't really come on and say the type of things that I'm saying about the kid. I'm not dogging him. I'm not trashing him, but I'm being truthful about him about who he is as a player. I'm not attacking him as a person. I think he's an incredible person. And when you look at what he came in, was on his shoulders, he was the guy that was supposed to revitalize this defense, right? Mike Stoops had got the five-star guy. When you come in and look what was on his shoulders and then the production that came with those expectations, never going to be the same thing. And so I think it would be a mistake to take him back out of the portal because now you have a chance if you're the University of Oklahoma, you have a chance to make a clean break from this kid. And if you're Brandon Riley House, you have the chance to get a fresh start for one more season, like you said, Rich, uh, to close out your collegiate career. So, well, in in addition, Matt, one of the things that we never really consider when it comes to players entering the transfer portal is just what kind of an impact they have on recruiting. Oh, I for don't, sure. I don't know that Brandon Riley House had a negative impact. On recruiting. In fact, I think he had more of an, a positive impact in recruiting and the recruits that we're seeing join this program this year. Why? Because he was the one who's volunteering to host them. He's that personality that people are familiar with if you're on the opposite side of the screen and you're not around that, the program. No, he was that, that go-to guy, I felt like when they knew that a recruit was going to be on campus and they needed someone to give them a tour, but I, I get it. 
that there are other guys like how could you not have a Caleb Kelly do something like that a guy who's just an all-world person it seems but never gets a, a, a lucky break well you're right about Caleb Kelly and here's the thing about Brandon Brandon Hiles and the personality he he is that guy that you want to be around youngsters he he has that that just that charisma to him that draws people in but here's the other side of it is that it, people who know football know football and i'm telling you key lawrence saw what was on this oklahoma football team and particularly at that position and he's like you know what i can come here and i can play and that, i mean i'm that, not disagreeing with that well i'm just bit. saying when it comes to recruiting and getting people here there's the the charismatic host but then there's the X's and O's where people who are in that defensive secondary, they look at what, what is on the field and they're thinking, yeah, I, I can beat this guy out in a position battle. And that's going to sound bad. It's, it's going to make some people upset, but it's truth. And I'll, I'll stand by it. Okay, let's move on because that, that was a long time on, on just two questions. Here we go. Let's, let's move away from Buki. Sticking with football, and you mentioned recruiting, so here we go. Oklahoma? Officially not taking a running back in 2020. Samar Wheaton, he's locked up at Alabama. LJ Johnson locked up at Texas A&M. But Oklahoma does get Eric Gray coming in from Tennessee. They get Kennedy Brooks back. So here, here's my question. They just got a five-star recruit who committed for the 2022 class. Not taking a running back in the 2020 class absolutely will not backfire on this football program. I, uh, why you got to ask these, these difficult questions today? What I'm looking, let me preface it by saying this, what I'm looking at what Oklahoma did over the past two seasons, it's very difficult. It's a hard pill to swallow saying that in the past two recruiting cycles, they only signed one, one running back, Matt. But it's okay. Well, it is, it is what it is, and the coaching staff will have to live with that. I, I'm going to say um, – did you say it is going to buy? I've forgotten it, now it that is, I started speaking. It is not. It, it, it will not backfire on this football program, only not, not taking a running back in 2020. I'm, I'm going to go with true, and the reason being is because of how the transfer portal – has evolved. I know that it was introduced several seasons ago and it seems almost as though it's free agency. If we were to compare it to the professional level of sports where you can dip in and pick a player out with, without giving anything up, there's no consequences for bringing that individual into your program and putting them onto the field. When I look at what the, the transfer portal has done for Oklahoma in the past, and I look at what I think it's going to do for Oklahoma in the future, I can say that it will put them in a good position. Let's take the defensive tackle position for an instance. We look at the depth that was there, and then all of a sudden it evaporated. And what does Oklahoma do? They go into the transfer portal, and they sign two two highly ranked defensive tackles who, by the way, were a huge key to the success of its defensive line in 2021, 2020-2021. Yeah, no, that's my bad because I, I said 2020, I think, twice when we're talking about this recruiting class, but they did not take a running back in the 2021 recruiting mm -hmm. class. I knew what, what you meant. About. Yeah, I, I my, knew what you meant. Me. And so we look at what they did with the defensive tackles. 
the guys that they brought in, the impact that they had, and just how successful that defensive line was. I do believe there are other candidates out there, especially at the running back position, whether that's from a JUCO or whether that's from just a transfer at the division one level, traditionally what we like to call it, whether it's a, a transfer from either of those different categories, it's not going to matter. Oklahoma is going to find a way to be successful with them. More importantly, um, I kind of wish Kale Gundy would move back over to running backs as he seemed to have a lot of success, not only on the field, but also in recruiting. Needless to say, this is a team, Matt, on the offensive side of the ball that I don't think is going to have an issue bringing in guys or at least enticing guys to look at the program regardless of position. When you look at what they've done at the quarterback position, bringing in several number one recruits at that position and back-to-back or in I shouldn't say back-to-back years because they're going to be a year apart at this point in time, a year separating them. When we look at what they've done with the quarterback position, there's no doubt in my mind knowing that you could bring in two running backs and then be number one, number two, and then in the next class, number one, number two, and still find room for them on this roster. Again, that shores up a lot of the concerns, a lot of the issues, and a lot of the questions that I had. So I'm going to rely heavily on that that transfer portal and say that that one will not come back to bite them. Well, and I think just based on what's there now, when you look at the numbers game with Oklahoma landing Eric Gray, you're getting Kennedy Brooks back. So you you it's two for two. You, you lost Ramondre Stevenson to the NFL. You lost TJ Pledger to Utah in the transfer portal. But you're getting Eric Gray. You're getting a proven guy who was a freshman All-American from Tennessee. You're getting uh, Kennedy Brooks back, who was a two-time 1,000-yard rusher in his first two seasons at the University of Oklahoma. So that's why I say it won't hurt them. I, I don't think it'll come back and hurt mm-hmm. them. And then you'd get Rayleigh Brown coming in for the 2022 class. We'll talk a little bit more about him. But I do want to come back to w- one thing on this topic. You're talking about a popular talking point right now with the running backs coach, particularly in, in DeMarco Murray. And I, I think you, you have to stop and pause here for a second. Yes. He missed out on Samar Wheaton. I, I'm, you can't take that away from him, but Eric Gray didn't just show up in Norman willy nilly. Mm-hmm. I, I think you have to give DeMarco Murray credit for that. And I'm, Rayleigh I'm, Brown just committed. He's a five-star running back. He just committed for 2022. So I, I don't. I, I think we have to look, pause on on Demarco Murray and the recruiting, and and just kind of realize what's happening right now, and where they are numbers-wise. I, I just. I, I'm not. I'm not ready. It, is Demarco Murray the greatest running backs coach in the history of the University of Oklahoma? Probably not. But I, I don't think you, you, it's time – I don't think there's been enough time just yet to, to gauge him one way or the other, whether we're talking about on-the-field productivity or whether we're talking about the recruiting trail. I, I, think, I think we're quick to jump on the guy who's fairly new to the job and not give him full credit for what's happening. It's not DeMarco Murray's fault that T.J. Pledger left. It's not DeMarco's fault that, that – well, and let, let's, is in let's back up, Matt, and, and be honest, because DeMarco Murray didn't recruit those guys either. No, but he coached them up. And and the thing mm-hmm. is, you know, Ramondre Stevenson going to the NFL after playing in five regular season games plus the two postseason, that's – well, he didn't even get five regular season games because the West Virginia game was canceled. But the fact that he's putting Ramondre Stevenson in the NFL after that, 
that that's a feather in the cap of your running backs coach. And the fact that Eric Gray, who was a freshman all American and don't, don't, don't look at the post commitment message board fodder. Look at the pre commitment message board fodder. Everybody wanted Eric Gray. Everybody wanted him. And there was a lot of thought that he wasn't going to come to the university of Oklahoma, that he was going to stay in the sec, which is a run heavy conference overall. But why did he come to the University of Oklahoma? I think DeMarco Murray had a lot to do with it. And then this kid, Rayleigh Brown, we've got we've got video of him at Heartland Sports, and you can go look at him. He's going to be a talent. Now, he's going to be an, uh, a versatile kind of all-world type guy who's not just going to be used in the backfield. He's going to be used in the slot. Whatever, all-world. Not all-world. Yeah, all-world. That means he can do anything in the world, Rich. But the, <laughs> the point I'm making is – the point I'm making is – well, I think we just need to pump the brakes on criticism for DeMarco Murray. That, that's hey, all hey, I'm going to say. Look, that was not intended as a criticism to DeMarco Murray. Um, in fact, when I was mentioning Cal Gundy's name, DeMarco Murray didn't even pop up into my mind. I haven't been on any kind of a message board reading <laughs> through the comments and formulating this idea, but I'm thinking back to the years, number one, that, that Cal Gundy has given to this program. Mm-hmm regardless of where he's been in his tenure and his experience, a majority of those, if not all of them have basically been spent at the university of Oklahoma. And there were very, there were some very successful running backs and he was a very successful recruiter. I think DeMarco Murray may be learning things a little bit harder here and why um, everyone was super excited because DeMarco Murray was coming in and had this name that was easily recognizable, more specifically easily recognizable within the state of Texas and around the DFW Metro. Is there some reliance upon that name in order to attract and gain the attention of recruits? Probably, but in the grand scheme of things, I've said this and I'll continue to say it, college is a stepping stone. You must be successful at the collegiate level in order to play in the NFL. And a lot of these players these days are looking at that stepping stone and saying, which one's going to have the most eyeballs on it. Mm -hmm. Now I get what Oklahoma's offense has done, but Oklahoma hasn't really shown up in the college football playoffs since Baker Mayfield. Granted, they've been going against some of the best teams in the country. Okay, hold up. If not the best team in the country. Hold up. Is that an (laughs) offensive issue, though, or a defensive issue? Defensive issue. Okay, so again, we can't we can't blame offensive coaches for defensive failures. I wasn't. I just said they hadn't showed up since Baker Mayfield. That Matt, that that was a game that Oklahoma should have won. Oklahoma should have beat Georgia, and I won't say that about any other college football playoff game. No, I agree wholeheartedly with that. But again, I, I don't you, – you can blame Lincoln Riley. I think that – and I've said this before. That, that game was a moment that was bigger than Lincoln Riley. He was not – as the head man, he was not prepared for that moment. And then just the, the total defensive collapse in that. Mm-hmm. But I, I agree with what you're saying. But when you, when you look at the losses to Alabama, you look at the loss to LSU, offense was not the issue in those games. And Matt. What? Matt, we're talking about recruiting here. <laughs> but I'm just saying we're going with DeMarco Murray as the centerpiece of our con- of our conversation recruiting. I, have you, I don't think Oklahoma has fallen in recruiting since those games. They, they, they're coming off the best recruiting class in the big 12 the year before they were number two in the big 12. And they're looking at 2022, which could easily become the best class Lincoln Riley has ever signed 
And that says a lot when you look at the, the talent that he's brought in on both sides of the ball, particularly in the last three years. Well, we'll see how it shakes out for DeMarco Murray. My whole point with that was it's not about name reliance. You actually have to get in there and establish and develop those relationships and then cultivate them down the road. It's not as simple as I think it used to be before the the emergence of social media and things like Instagram and TikTok and Twitter really took over. I, I know you've got a smile on your face here because these are things that we don't understand, but we know that they exist. So however coaching staffs are using them, they've got to have a creative team behind them. And I believe Oklahoma has the best. So of course, now that we're in the thick of this conversation, I have to point the finger somewhere. TikTok, huh? Okay, let's... <laughs> Dude, I don't even... Yeah. <laughs> Let's, let's move on from there. All right, here we go. Um, no, number four on our on our five true or false questions for Rich. Uh, we're going to stick with recruiting and just say 2021 is over, right? So is it, it is now officially time, true or false, it's now officially time to stop looking at adding to the roster for 2021 and focus fully on 2022. That is absolutely 100% true. We know that the deadline to enroll anyone you're shaking your head in a completely disagreeance. I mean, I'm still sticking with my gut here and saying that it's true because the deadline to enroll and get that early experience has come and it has gone. You cannot enroll at the University of Oklahoma at this point in time as that deadline has already been surpassed. And so when we look at this 2021 roster, Matt, I, I knew that it was light. I knew that the COVID situation was going to change the numbers as players opted to come back instead of graduating at traditionally graduating after a fourth year, they would opt to come back and play one final year on this roster. But you also have to count for the attrition that would happen, whether that was because of transfers or whether that was simply because of players receiving high grades in the NFL draft and believing that they're worthy of that first round pick. So when it comes to this 2021 class, I didn't think 16 was enough. They've dipped into the transfer portal and they've pulled out a handful of guys, which I think basically, my opinion here, I get it. I, I, I think it rounded out that 2021 class. And when you're looking at the, the overall product, when you're looking at the names that have signatures and have already enrolled at this point in time, it's hard to say there, there's a better option out there that remains. I would agree wholeheartedly with you if it wasn't for one name that's still out there. That's Big Cat Bryant. I, I think you were he, going there. I mean, I just look, I, I think they're still going to add to the roster. I think Big Cat Bryant is still going to be a part of this team. And we're going to talk a little bit more about him to close out the podcast. But that is one name that's still available that Oklahoma is very much not just in on, but they're leading with this kid. And um, I think they're going to end up adding him to the uh, – to the roster. I, I think what, by the time the fall camp rolls around, Big Cat Bryant will be a part of it. Okay, here we go. Last question on the true or false. And this is it. I'm going to give you a layup because I gave you four, three hard ones, one mildly difficult. So he, here's the layup for you. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. So uh, the USA Today Sooners Wire, they, they did a pretty good job. It's, it's a fun article to go back and read. Looking at the all-time team during the Bob Stoops era. Okay, so they they went position by position and said this is the best player at this position in the Bob Stoops era, which lead me to this question right here. True or false? Adrian Peterson was the best football player at the University of Oklahoma during the Bob Stoops era. That's true. 
You don't even need to think about it. You're just going to jump no. right on it. No. And Matt, you look at the career that he had, not only as a college athlete, but also as a professional. And it's hard to take those years away from him, knowing that he was still representing the university of Oklahoma during his time, whether that was with the Vikings or whether that was with, what are they calling it out? The Washington, the football Washington team. football team. Yeah. It didn't matter who he was with. Everybody knew that he played at the university of Oklahoma and Oklahoma likes to claim him. Now, if you're talking about just college career, I, I may no, I'm still going to have to go with him. <laughs> who, who would you give? You said you may. So give me, give me yeah, somebody who may, would be a runner uh, up. I thought Sam Bradford was incredible. Had he played a junior year, like we expected him to, right. he may have solidified himself as the best player in Oklahoma history. 2009 history, was excuse me, Oklahoma under the, Bob under Stoops. the Bob Stoops. Yeah. Um, 2009 years. was the year that we all learned about AC joint separations uh, because of Sam Bradford. Um, you got any others? I've got one other one that I think even still didn't have as long as a pro career as, as Adrian Peterson did, but there's one other guy, Tommy Harris, I, Tommy Harris. I still, I still give Adrian Peterson the nod, but Tommy Harris dude was a physical freak. Mm-hmm. And um, I, if, if I was going to pick somebody else, that's, that's where I would, that's where I would hey, lean on. Hey Matt, um, I'm going to give you a quick little segue because I just so happened to Google the, the name that's been consistently found coming out of your mouth, big cat Williams, big cat Brian. what I'm, yeah, I don't know where Williams came from big cat. I do know where Williams came from the comedian cat Williams, big cat Bryant though. You believed he was coming from Auburn, correct? To the university of Oklahoma. He went from Auburn to Tennessee, and then he jumped back in the portal from Tennessee. Okay. That's all I needed to know. Because you're going to tell me he's committed to Tennessee? No, we're, we're square. I would just just very briefly looked at a timeline and saw a Tennessee at the top of that. Um, and so I, I get that the, the crystal ball says 100% Oklahoma at this point. And so when I scrolled down and saw a different logo there, it kind of took me by surprise. I should read the whole thing next time before speaking, huh? Okay, so let's jump into this big cat Bryant saga, and then we'll talk a little bit about Relic Williams. Uh, excuse me, Relic Brown. Now, you got me saying Williams. I- I'm blaming you for that. <laughs> um, so let- let's let's wrap up the podcast with this. Okay, big cat Bryant. Here's what I know. Now, his high school former high school coach was on the staff at the University of Tennessee when he left Auburn. Tennessee was going to be his destination of choice, but then we all know about the paper McDonald bags full of money and the coaches getting fired from Knoxville. And that put Bryant back in the transfer portal. I, I stick to my guns on this on what I know and what I've been told. Oklahoma is not only in on big cat Bryant, they're leading to get this guy. And there's some people who look at his college stats and they think, it, if, if OU misses out on him, big deal, right? But don't forget, he plays in a league that focuses on running the football. So the, the spread offense and the, the actually dropping back in the pocket and throwing 25, 30 times a game, that is not across the board on the SEC. And really, when you look at this last season, it's the first time it's been more than just a handful of teams, this is a talented football player that the University of Oklahoma is seeking, 
and he can bring a lot to this team and in the area of being a pass rushing specialist, which is what he was recruited to Auburn to be a part of. What I've been told is that he still wants to come to the University of Oklahoma. What I've been told is that the University of Oklahoma still wants him, but there are some details still with Auburn that he has to wrap up. This is what, now this is going into speculation now, okay? I think he wants to come as a graduate transfer, which would explain why he's not on campus in Norman right now. I think he's going to wrap up his degree at Auburn, come in as a a graduate transfer with immediate eligibility for 2021. Now, he's obviously not on campus, and as you mentioned, he can't get on campus for the spring semester, meaning he won't be here for spring ball. But I still think he's coming. I think he's coming during the summer, and I think this is a guy who can help Oklahoma make a, another stride forward defensively. Rich, if you remember, I think the last time I got to ask you the true or false questions, which would have been two podcasts ago, I, one of the questions was players out of the transfer portal – will be the key to the University of Oklahoma, not just making the playoffs, but making a championship game. And Big Cat Bryant's one of those guys who can really help make that final push. Now, is he going to end up at OU? I don't know. But if you made me bet based on what I do know, I would say that he does. It's a good bet to make. You're not the only one who's who's making that kind of a wager. As I mentioned, it's a 100% prediction that he will land at the University of Oklahoma. Granted, that 100% comes from two different individuals. So it's not a huge pool of people who are saying, yes, we're going in 100% on the University of Oklahoma, but two is more than zero. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to just stand in line behind them. When it comes to what's unfolding, because these are the individuals, 247 Sports, with their ears on the railroad tracks, and they hear that train coming down from a ways. Needless to say, the news may have been trickling for quite some time about Big Cat Williams and the interest in Oklahoma, as well as the reverse, Oklahoma being interested. Williams again, Big Cat Bryant, and Oklahoma being interested in Bryant as well. Matt, there's a lot of room for a guy of his talents when you look at the loss of Ronnie Perkins. All that pressure is going to fall onto Isaiah Thomas, and there needs to be someone on the opposite end who can stand in the gap and put an equal amount of pressure. Whether Oklahoma uses that from the linebacker position is yet to be seen, but undoubtedly there's a big void to fill, and I know that Oklahoma is looking for the next talent, the next player who can fill it and have a similar impact to the one that Perkins had during his short time in the 2020 season. Well, speaking of the the next guys down the line, let's talk real fast about the 2022 recruiting class. Oklahoma jumps up to number five in the 24-7 sports rankings for number uh, for 2022, after Relic Brown commits to the University of Oklahoma, 5'8", 185 pounds. He's rated as the number two running back prospect in the nation for 2022. He's the number three overall prospect from the state of California and the number 33 prospect nationally. A five-star running back that Oklahoma, I said all world. You said, what would you say, all purpose? Um, yes. Yeah, he's gonna. <laughs> he's a guy that, that has great hands. He's got deceptive power for being a smaller frame guy. He's got legitimate elite high-end speed. Um, and what's great about him is that he jumps into a recruiting class that was already full of 
four-star guys. Every guy that Oklahoma had, and there's not a lot in there. You've got the, the Shelton kid. you got Burden, the wide receiver. Uh, Shelton's wide receiver as well. Kobe McKenzie, the linebacker. And then, oh, and, and Jordan Hudson, also a wide receiver. So that's what you had in the class, and they're all four-star recruits. And now you add a five-star recruit into that mix, which puts Oklahoma behind Ohio State, Georgia, LSU, and Penn State for the recruiting rankings. And it's really close between Oklahoma and Penn State on those on those the way they com- compile those recruiting scores. Oklahoma. Well- Matt, I'm going to add one thing to it because if you were to take the average, I know that our our favorite to use is 247 sports, but I do think you have to consider the average because those total points are what these rankings are based off of. And when you have Ohio State up there with 10 commits, it's hard for a team with five commits to really compete with them. And so the averages to me mean a little bit more, but the only team that's above Oklahoma, if you were to click the average and have it sort them by that average, Oklahoma would be number two at 96.83 on a scale of a hundred and in rating their recruits, 96.83 Ohio state would be at 96.0. So 96 flat. The only team above them, Matt, do you know who it is? I mean, it should be an easy guess here. The only team above Oklahoma in that situation. Yep. Yep. It would be Alabama. Yeah, as I say, I, I was trying to think of it as one of the top five, but yeah, Alabama Al- makes Alabama ninety seven point one seven with only two commits for the twenty twenty two cycle. Texas up there as well with at a ninety six point one three. So there are a couple teams in in the conference too, to be more right. specific. There are a couple teams who will compete for that average title when it all comes comes down to it next <laughs> next February. Texas number 12 right now in the 24-7 sports rankings. Uh, Just real fast, one more thing on Brown. 35 total scholarship offers, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Miami, Michigan, Texas. You mentioned that that team, Uh, which is some of the ones that are in on this kid. The only thing you can add to this is two, two, really two things. Number one, it's early. It's February. So uh, we've got literally 12 months before this recruiting cycle is finished. But number two, this is building to be something very special. If you remember the class that Oklahoma just signed 2021, that class began to gain momentum when Caleb Williams jumped in there in July. We're February and you've got, you got this kid jumping in and Brown and, and you already got four-star commitments. They got a five-star to it. This legitimately could be the best class that Lincoln Riley has signed at the university of Oklahoma but keeping in mind that it's only February and the way things have gone recently, particularly with the running back position, it could all fall apart as well. So you just, you know, you never know, right? <laughs> right. Okay. Hey, that's going to wrap it up for us on the Sooner Nation podcast. You can find us online, heartland-sports.com, heartland-sports.com. We're on Twitter at Sports Heartland. We'd love to hear back from you. Uh, let us know where you agree, where you disagree, where you absolutely think that Rich is crazy. Uh, I mean, where, where you think that both of us or either of us are crazy. We would love to hear your feedback. Have a great week, everybody. Stay warm. Boomer Sooner.